body aches at bedtime, Sierra Sil is a natural mineral supplement that supports joint health, calms inflammation, and we're so sure it'll work for you as it has for me and my husband for over 10 years. It has a money-back guarantee. Go to sierrasil.com, S-I-E-R-R-A-S-I-L, and use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and thank you so much for joining us for Drift, a place of calm waters, of floating peacefully off to sleep, and hopefully to sweet dreams. Made possible by Envy Pillow, created by Kathy and Kim, Canadian registered nurses who have partnered here with me. I've rested my weary head on an Envy Pillow for mm, about 20 years now. It started because of stress-related neck pain. And I've been in love ever since. Learn more in the morning at Envy, E-N-V-Y, pillow.com. Tonight, I'm pleased to bring you yet another tale from Edith Nesbitt, whose book of dragons has brought enjoyment to readers and listeners for over a century, as I hope it does for you here. This story resonates with me as a mom who misses her daughter so much. When the queen says, I would be a stone for a thousand years, if at the end of them I could see my dear again. Ah, yes. This is the island of the nine whirlpools, reimagined for you here for Drift. It's a wonderful story of a banished princess and a brave and very clever young suitor who uses not magic, but math, to save the day. Before we begin, though, please join me in relaxing, stretching out if you are able, and just finding that perfect spot in your bed, a place on your pillow where your head is heavy, but supported and comfortable. And now, if you will, take a deep breath in, and out and we'll do it one more time but this time as we do after you inhale when you're ready to let it go think these thoughts I am safe I am loved I am at peace here we go inhale and exhaling I am safe I am loved I am at peace. Now, if you're ready, let's drift. The queen went in through the dark arch that led to the witch's cave, and she had in her heart a very special favor to ask that day. Now the queen's husband was the king, but besides being a king, he was an enchanter and considered to be quite at the top of his profession. So he was very wise, and he knew that when kings and queens want children, the queen always goes to see a witch. We're not sure why he couldn't do this spell or enchantment himself, but, as we all know, sometimes you just have to call in a professional. So he gave the queen the witch's address, and the queen paid her a visit, though she was very frightened. 
The witch was sitting by a fire of sticks, stirring something bubbling in a shiny copper cauldron. What do you want, my dear? she said to the queen. Oh, if you please, I want a baby, a very nice one. We don't want any expense spared. My husband said, Oh, yes, said the witch. I know all about him. And so you want a child. Do you know it will bring you sorrow? It will bring me joy first, said the queen. Great sorrow, said the witch. Greater joy, replied the queen. Then the witch said, Well, have your own way. What will you give me for the child? Anything you ask for, and all I have, said the queen. Then give me your gold crown, and your necklace of blue sapphires, and your ruby clasps. Now the lilies from your breast, and the diamonds of your bright shoe buckles. Then the witch stirred the stuff that was in the cauldron, and one by one she threw in the gold crown, and the sapphire necklace, and the pearl bracelets, and the ruby clasps, and the diamonds of the bright shoe buckles, and last of all she threw in the lilies. The mix in the cauldron boiled up in foaming flashes of yellow and blue and red and white and silver and sent out a sweet scent. Then the witch poured it out into a pot and set it to cool in the doorway. Then she said to the queen, Your child will have hair as golden as your crown, eyes as blue as your sapphires. The red of your rubies will lie on its lips. Its soul will be pure and sweet as your lilies, and your diamonds will be no clearer than its wits. Oh, thank you, thank you, said the queen. And when will it come? You will find it when you get home. And won't you have something for yourself? Let me do some little thing for you. Aren't you tired of being a witch? Wouldn't you like to be a duchess or a princess or something like that? There is one thing I should rather like, said the witch. But it's hard to get in my trade. Oh, tell me what, said the queen. I should like someone to love me. Then the queen threw her arms around the witch's neck and kissed her half a hundred times. Why, I love you better than my life. You've given me the baby, and the baby shall love you too. Perhaps it will, said the witch. And when the sorrow comes, send for me. Each of your fifty kisses will be a spell to bring me to you. Now drink up your medicine, there's a dear, and run along home. Well, sure enough, when she got back to the palace, there was the baby lying in the cradle with the royal arms emblazoned upon it, crying as babies do. It had pink ribbons to tie up its sleeves, so the queen saw at once it was a girl. When the king learned this, he tore his black hair with fury. Oh, you silly, silly queen. Did you think I went to all the trouble and expense of sending you to a witch to get a girl? You knew well enough it was a boy I wanted, an heir, a prince, 
to learn all my magic and my enchantments, and to rule the kingdom after me. I'll bet my crown you never even thought to tell the witch what gender you wanted. And the queen hung her head and had to confess that she had only asked for a child. Very well, madam. Have your own way, and make the most of your daughter while she is a child. The queen did. All the years of her life had never held so much happiness as now lived in each of the moments when she held her little baby in her arms. And the years went on, and the king grew more and more clever at magic, and more and more disagreeable at home, and the princess grew more beautiful and more dear every day she lived. The queen and the princess were feeding the goldfish in the courtyard fountains with crumbs from the princess's eighteenth birthday cake when the king came out looking as black as thunder. He shook his fist at his family. It seems he really knew how to hold a serious grudge. A girl indeed, said the king angrily to his wife picking up the same fight he'd been carrying on with for almost two decades now. Your silliness has spoiled everything. You shouldn't speak to my mother like that, said the princess. She was eighteen, and it came to her suddenly, and all in a moment, that she was a grown-up, so she spoke out. Well, the king was too angry to utter a word for several minutes. But the frightened queen said, Darling child, don't interfere. And to her husband she said, My dear, why do you go on worrying about it? Our daughter is not a boy, but so what? She may marry a clever man who could rule your kingdom after you and learn as much magic as you ever cared to teach him. Well, by this time the king had found his tongue. If she does marry, he said, her husband will have to be very clever indeed, and he will have to know a very great deal more magic than I shall ever care to teach him. Come, said the queen, don't punish the child because she loves her mother. I'm not going to punish her for that, said he. I'm only going to teach her to respect her father. And without another word, he went off to his laboratory and worked all night, boiling different colored things in crucibles and copying charms in curious twisted letters from old brown books with mold stains on their yellowy pages. The next day his plan was all arranged. He took the poor princess to the Lone Tower, which stands on an island in the sea a thousand miles from everywhere. He gave her a dowry and settled a handsome income upon her. He engaged a competent dragon to look after her and also a respectable griffin, whose birth and upbringing he knew all about. A griffin, in case you've forgotten, is a mix of creatures, the body, legs, and tail of a lion, and the head of a bird, often an eagle. In fact, Sometimes a griffin even has the front feet of an eagle. So yes, that's what was watching over the princess, along with the dragon. On we go. The king said, and I'm guessing he's being pretty sarcastic here, 
Here you shall stay, my dear, respectful daughter, till the clever man comes to marry you. He'll have to be clever enough to sail a ship through the nine whirlpools that spin around this island, and to kill the dragon and the griffin. Till he comes, you'll never get any older or any wiser. No doubt he will soon come. You can employ yourself in embroidering your wedding gown. I wish you joy, my dutiful child. And with that, his carriage, drawn by live thunderbolts, rose in the air and disappeared, and the poor princess was left with the dragon and the griffin on the island of the nine whirlpools. The queen, left at home, cried for a day and a night. Then she remembered the witch and called out to her, and the witch came, and the queen told her everything. For the sake of the kisses you gave me, said the witch, I will help you, but it is the last thing I can do, and it's really not much. Your daughter is under a spell, and I can take you to her. But if I do, you will have to be turned to stone, and to stay so, till the spell is taken off the child. I would be a stone for a thousand years, said the poor queen, if at the end of them I could see my dear again. So the witch took the queen in a carriage, drawn by live sunbeams, to the lone tower on the island of the nine whirlpools, and there was the princess sitting on the floor in the best room of the lone tower, crying as if her heart would break, and the dragon and griffin sitting primly on either side of her. Oh, mother, 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 she cried, and hung around the queen's neck as if she would never let go. Now, said the witch, when they had all cried as much as was good for them, I can do one or two other little things for you. Time shall not make the princess sad. All days will be like one day, till her deliverer comes, and you and I, dear queen, will sit in stone at the gate of the tower. In doing this for you, I lose all my witch's powers, and when I say the spell that changes you to stone, I shall change with you, and if ever we come out of the stone, I shall be a witch no more, but only a happy old woman. Well, then the three kissed one another again and again, and the witch said the spell, and now on each side of the door there stood a stone lady. One of them had a stone crown on its head and a stone scepter in its hand, but the other held a stone tablet with words on it, which the griffin and the dragon could not read, even though they had both had a very good education. And now all days seemed like one day to the princess, and the next day always seemed the day when her mother would come out of the stone and kiss her again. And the years went slowly by. The wicked king died, and someone else took his kingdom, and many things were changed in the world. But the island did not change, nor the nine whirlpools, nor the griffin, nor the dragon, nor the two stone ladies. And the years went by in tens and in hundreds, 
and still the nine whirlpools spun around, roaring in triumph with the story of many a good ship that had gone down in their swirl, bearing with it some prince who had tried to win the princess and her dowry, and the great sea knew all the other stories of the princes who had come from very far and had seen the whirlpools and had shaken their wise young heads and said, Bout ship, and gone discreetly home to their nice, safe, comfortable kingdoms. But no one told the story of the deliverer who was to come. And the years went by. Now, after more scores of years than you could count, a certain boy sailed on the high seas with his uncle, who was a skilled skipper. Oh, and so was the boy, who was as fine a young man as you could find on land or sea, and worthy to be a prince. He looked out over the black sea, and far away he saw a light, and he said to his uncle, What light is that? And the skipper said, All good things defend you, Colin, from sailing near that light. It is marked in the old chart I steer by, which was my father's father's before me, and his father's father's before him. It is the light that shines from the lone tower that stands above the nine whirlpools. The story goes that in that tower, an enchanted princess, fairer than the day, waits to be delivered. But there is no deliverance. So never steer that way, and think no more of the princess, for that is only an idle tale. But the whirlpools, my boy, they are quite real. So, of course, from that day, Colin thought of nothing else. And one night, when the ship was at anchor and the skipper asleep in his bunk, Colin lowered the ship's boat to the water and steered it all alone over the dark sea towards the light. He dared not go very near till daylight when he could see what these dreaded whirlpools were all about. But when the dawn came, he saw the lone tower standing dark against the pink skies of the east, and about its base the sullen swirl of black water, and he heard the terrific roar of it. So he hung around all that day, and for six days onward, and when he had watched seven days, he knew something, that for five minutes out of the day, the whirlpool slipped into silence, while the tide went down and left the yellow sand bare. And every day this happened, but every day it was five minutes earlier than it had been the day before. He made sure of this by the ship's chronometer, which he had thoughtfully brought with him. So, on the eighth day at five minutes before noon, Colin got ready, and when the whirlpool suddenly stopped whirling and the tide sank like water in a basin with a hole in it, he grabbed his oars and put his back into his stroke and presently beached the boat on the yellow sand. Then he dragged it into a cave and sat down to wait. By five minutes and one second past noon, the whirlpools were black and busy again and Colin peeped out of his cave, and on the rocky ledge overhanging the sea he saw a princess as beautiful as the day, with golden hair and a green gown, and he went out to meet her. I've come to save you, he said, 
how darling and beautiful you are. You're very good and very clever and very dear, said the princess, smiling and giving him both her hands. He shot a little kiss in each hand before he let them go. So now, when the tide is low again, I will take you away in my boat, he said. But what about the dragon and the griffin? asked the princess. Dear me, said Colin. I didn't know about them. I suppose I can kill them? Don't be silly, said the princess. You haven't a sword or a shield or anything. Well, don't the beasts ever go to sleep? Why, yes, said the princess, but only once in twenty-four hours, and then the dragon is turned to stone. The griffin sleeps at tea time every day, but the dragon sleeps every day for five minutes, and every day it is three minutes later than it was the day before. Hmm, what time does he sleep today? asked Colin. At eleven, said the princess. Ah, said Colin, can you do sums? No, said the princess sadly. I was never good at them. Then I must, said Colin, but it'll take me days and days and make me unhappy. Don't begin yet, said the princess. You'll have plenty of time to be unhappy when I'm not with you. Tell me all about yourself. So he did, and then she told him all about herself. I know I've been here a long time, but I don't know what time is, and I am very busy sewing silk flowers on a golden gown for my wedding day, and the griffin does the housework. His wings are so convenient and feathery for sweeping and dusting. The dragon does the cooking. He's hot inside, so, of course, it's no trouble to him. And though I don't know what time is, I'm sure it's time for my wedding day, because my golden gown only wants one more white daisy on the sleeve and a lily on the bosom of it, and then it'll be ready. Just then, they heard a dry, rustling clatter on the rocks above them and a snorting sound. It's the dragon, said the princess hurriedly. I'll be going, so be a good boy and do figure this out. And she ran away and left him to his arithmetic. Now the sum was this. If the whirlpool stop and the tide goes down once in every 24 hours, and they do it five minutes earlier every 24 hours, and if the dragon sleeps every day, and he does it three minutes later every day, in how many days and at what time in the day will the tide go down three minutes before the dragon falls asleep? Oof. He sat down to work out his sum with a piece of chalk on a smooth stone. He tried everything he knew, but it was all of no use. He got an answer every time, but it was always a different one, and he could not feel sure which answer was right. And just as he was feeling how much more important than anything else it is to be able to do your sums, the princess came back, and now it was getting dark. Why, you've been seven hours over that sum, and you haven't done it yet? Look here, this is what is written on the tablet of the statue by the lower gate. It has figures in it. Perhaps it is the answer to the sum. She held out to him a big white magnolia leaf, and she had scratched on it with the pin of her pearl brooch, and it had turned brown where she had scratched it, as magnolia leaves will do. He clapped his hand softly. Dear princess, 
I know that's the right answer. He hastily worked the sum in all the rules he could think of, and it came right every time. So now we must wait, said he, and they waited. And every day the princess came to see Colin and brought him food cooked by the dragon, and he lived in his cave and talked to her when she was there and thought about her when she was not, and they were both as happy as the longest day in summer. Then at last came the day. Colin and the princess laid their plans. You're sure he won't hurt you, my only treasure, said the young man. Quite, said the princess. I only wish I were half as sure that he wouldn't hurt you. My princess, two great powers are on our side, the power of love and the power of arithmetic. Those two are stronger than anything else in the world. So when the tide began to go down, Colin and the princess ran out onto the sands, and there, in full sight of the terrace where the dragon kept watch, Colin took his princess in his arms and kissed her. The griffin was busy sweeping the stairs of the lone tower, but the dragon saw, and he gave a cry of rage, and it was like twenty engines, all letting off steam at the top of their voices inside a train station and the two lovers stood looking up at the dragon. He was dreadful to look at. His head was white with age, and his beard had grown so long that he caught his claws in it as he walked. His wings were white with the salt from the spray of the sea. His tail was long and thick, and his claws were lengthy and sharp. Goodbye, love, cried Colin and ran out across the yellow sand toward the sea. He had one end of a cord tied to his arm. The dragon was clambering down the face of the cliff, and next moment he was crawling and writhing and sprawling and wriggling across the beach after Colin. Still, the boy held on as the dragon chased him. The princess could see nothing for the steam stirred up by the dragon's rage and she stood crying bitterly, but still clinging with her right hand to the other end of the cord that Colin had told her to hold, while with her left she held the ship's chronometer, and she looked at it through her tears as he had asked her to watch so as to know when to pull the rope. On went Colin over the sand, and on went the dragon after him, and the tide was low and sleepy, gentle waves lapped the sand's edge. Now at the lip of the water, Colin paused and looked back, and the dragon made a bound, beginning a scream of rage that was like all the engines of all the railways in England. But it never uttered the second half of that scream, for now it knew suddenly that it was sleepy. It turned to hurry back to dry land, because sleeping near whirlpools is so unsafe. But before it reached the shore, sleep caught the dragon and turned it to stone. Colin, seeing this, ran shoreward for his life, and the tide began to flow in, and the time of the whirlpool sleep was nearly over. And he stumbled, and he waded, and he swam, and the princess pulled for dear life at the cord in her hand and she pulled him up onto the dry shelf of rock just as the great sea dashed in, and the nine whirlpools surrounded the island. 
But the dragon was asleep under the whirlpools, and so that was the end of him. Now there's only the griffin, said Colin, and the princess said, yes, only. And she kissed Colin and went back to sew the last leaf of the last lily on the bosom of her wedding gown. She thought and thought of what was written on the stone about the griffin being artificial. And next day she said to Colin, You know, a griffin is half a lion and half an eagle, and the other two halves, when they've joined, make the Leo griff. I've never seen him, but I have an idea. So they talked it over and arranged everything. When the griffin fell asleep that afternoon at tea time, Colin snuck up and trod on his tail, and at the same time the princess cried, Look out, there's a lion behind you. And the griffin, waking suddenly from his dreams, twisted his large neck around to look for the lion, saw a lion's flank, and fastened its eagle beak in it for the griffin had been artificially made by the king enchanter, and the two halves had never really got used to each other. So now the eagle half of the griffin, who was still rather sleepy, believed that it was fighting a lion, and the lion part, being half asleep, thought it was fighting an eagle, and the whole griffin, in its deep drowsiness, hadn't the sense to pull itself together and remember what it was made of. So the griffin rolled over and over, one end of it fighting with the other, till it perished. Poor griffin, said the princess. It was very good at the housework. I always liked it better than the dragon. It wasn't so hot-tempered. At that moment, there was a soft, silky rush behind the princess, and there was her mother, the queen, who had slipped out of the stone statue at the moment the griffin was dead and now came hurrying to take her dear daughter in her arms. The witch was climbing down slowly from her pedestal. She was a little stiff from standing still for so long. When they had all explained everything to each other, the witch said, Well, what about the whirlpools? And Colin said he didn't know. And the witch said, I'm not a witch any more. I'm only a happy old woman. But I do know this. Those whirlpools were made by the enchanter kings dropping nine drops of his blood into the sea, and his blood was so wicked that the sea has been trying ever since to get rid of it, and that made the whirlpools. Now you've only got to go out at low tide. So Colin understood and went out at low tide and found in the sandy hollow left by the first whirlpool a great red ruby. That was the first drop of the wicked king's blood. The next day, Colin found another, and next day another, and so on, till the ninth day, and then the sea was as smooth as glass. What did Colin do with the rubies? Well, the nine gems were used afterwards in agriculture. You had only to throw them out into a field if you wanted it ploughed. Then the whole surface of the land turned itself over in a panic to get rid of something so wicked, and in the morning the field was found to be ploughed thoroughly. So you see, the wicked king did some good after all. When the sea was smooth, ships came from far and wide, bringing people to hear the wonderful story. A beautiful palace was built, 
and the princess was married to Colin in her gold dress, and they all lived happily as long as was good for them. Oh, and they had nine children, all of them daughters, and Colin, being a good father, was suitably delighted with each and every one of them, as any good father would be. And that's the story of the princess and her brave sailor boy, Colin, her mother, and the witch who made this whole story possible, the island of the nine girl pools. <laughs> now, drift off and sweet dreams. <laughs>